Well, happy new year, church family. How are we doing? Yeah. Hey, my name is Jesse Peters, as Pastor Jesse said, the other Jesse. I don't get to see you guys very often at all because we have middle school at 1045. So I probably haven't met most of you. So please come say hi. I'd love to, to meet you. And uh, yeah, I'm just so glad that we are here together in the new year, the first day of the new year. Um, Man, what a special morning it already has been as we've been worshiping the Lord, taking communion, and now we're going to study God's word. And so there's no greater thing than we can do to start our new year than to be in God's house with God's people. So I would love for you guys to just turn to the person next to you or right around you and just say, Happy New Year, and I'm so glad you're here. It's amazing to be in God's house with God's people. I, yeah, I have been so excited to uh, be here and be with you, to worship with you. It's been amazing, um, and we're going to continue to dive in. So middle school is uh, going so well, and I want to take a quick second to thank our middle school leaders for all the work that they are doing in discipling and preparing um, our students for uh, just, yeah, a lifelong following of Jesus. So, yeah. If you see them, uh, there was a number of them in the first service. You can continue to say thank you and pray for them. Um, And I also wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you, church family, for donating to the scholarship fund for our camps. We have, um, as of of like last night, we have uh, 80, almost 90 students for middle school and high school camp that, yeah, praise the Lord for that. But it's even, it gets better than that because of your uh, faithful giving um, and specifically donating to the scholarship fund all 90 of those students received over half a scholarship um, to go to camp. So just amazing stuff so that they can be encouraged in God's word, come to know him, um, and live uh, full, vibrant lives for Jesus. So we praise God for that, and thank you so much. So I would also ask if you guys would not only just pray for me as I speak, but also pray for us as we go to middle school camp in January 14th through 16th. So less than two weeks away, and it's coming up really fast, and I'm really excited. We've got some great things that God's going to allow us to do, um, and he's going to work in tremendous ways. So as we get started today looking at God's word, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58. And so if you brought a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there, Isaiah 58. Um, If you have the digital version, that's great. Um, And we're going to be looking at fasting. So we're going to kick off, uh, I get the opportunity to kind of kick off uh, our sermon series over the next couple weeks, uh, where we're going to look at prayer and fasting, intentionally seeking the Lord as we begin this new year. New year, new resolutions. Some of us may have goals and aspirations for the year, um, but first and foremost should be our aspiration and desire to draw near to God and grow in our relationship with him. And so prayer and fasting at Grace has been an intentional time where we set that apart, um, where we really seek the Lord. What is he leading us? How is he speaking? How can we connect with him? And so uh, through this sermon and through the next couple weeks, we're going to take a look at that. And uh, the Lord may be uh, encouraging you and pulling at your heart to uh, take this time of prayer and fasting. And so it's a spiritual discipline. It's not easy. Uh, it takes effort and work, and there's going to be um, some ups and downs, but that's what a discipline is. It's working at it just like a sport, just like a, a hobby or something like that. We've got to work continually at it. And so prayer and fasting uh, is one of those spiritual disciplines. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Isaiah 58. Um, It's in the Old Testament, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. And um, 
this Bible has become one of my favorites, an apologetic study Bible, and we give it to our eighth grade students as they graduate and get ready for high school. And it's become one of my favorites for several reasons, but one of them is because of the larger print. As I'm getting older, <laughs> maybe some of you guys have seen, I love, I've had this small pocket-sized Bible that I can fit in my back pocket for like 12, 13 years to have taken it everywhere I go, um, but it's super small print, like seven uh, point font. And so my eyes aren't that good anymore. So we're here with the Christian Standard Bible. But I love the Christian Standard Bible, just real quick, because it's, uh, it's, it's very uh, similar to ESV and um, NIV. And so you might, um, might be similar. So this is Isaiah chapter 58, um, beginning in verse 1. Cry out loudly, don't hold back, raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways. Like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him and, do, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here am I. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing, the malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid among you. And you will be called the repair of the broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer to help, to ask for help as we unpack these powerful and pointed words. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, your faithfulness, your character that you remain constant. Your character never changes. Your love for us is unending. We can never reach the end of it. And God, we thank you for this last year. As we took time this last week to celebrate, to reflect, we thank you for how you have been with us through every trial, every toil, every mountaintop, every valley low. We thank you for who you are. God, and as has already been mentioned this morning, some of us, we're limping. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are dreading what's to come in this new year. 
Would you touch us? Would you continue to minister to us? Would you encourage us? Would you be the lifter of our souls? Would you speak to us today? Would you speak to us continually so that we could live lives that honor you, that reflect your glory and accomplish your mission? God, we give you all the glory and praise this morning. We thank you for this season where we can celebrate uh, this last week, the birth of your son, the incarnation, that you came to tabernacle among us, Jesus, to dwell among us, to be our propitiation, to die for us, to rise again, and to make a home for us in heaven. God, as we begin this new year, we have a lot of goals and dreams, aspirations. May our heart cry be to honor you, to bring you glory, to draw closer to you. God, as we continue to look at your word, may you, through the Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our hearts. May we apply your word, God. May we grow in awe of you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we are going to look at this chapter under three headings because this is really helpful for me as students of the Bible. Um, I, it just, yeah, we just look through the Bible and it just seems like uh, there's just categories that help us so much unpack these kind of difficult words. And so I want us to look under these, uh, these chapter, this chapter under three headings, how not to fast, how to fast, and the benefits of fasting. And so before we kind of jump right into verse one, I want us to uh, just really quickly in 30 seconds, this is Isaiah. It's a very interesting, very profound book of prophecy in the Old Testament. The Bible Project has done a phenomenal job and they've designed um, this kind of cartoon overview of each chapter and section of the Bible. You can go onto YouTube and there's an overview video where they walk through the entire book. I would encourage you, they also have videos over every book of the Bible. Great resource to dive into. Our middle school and high school students love their videos. So Isaiah, most of us are probably familiar with chapter six and the call of Isaiah and God asking, who will go and speak to my people? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. We also read of the different, and around Christmas, we read about the prophecies of the Messiah, the anointed one that's going to come and rescue us. We also read in the later half of the book in verses 40 through 66 about this after exile of the longing of the suffering servant who's going to die for the people and to establish his kingdom. And so in the latter section here that we're gonna take a look at in, verse, in chapter 58 is this section where uh, God speaks through Isaiah to the people about the characteristics of wicked and righteous citizens in God's kingdom. And so today we're gonna look at fasting as a uh, potential for the, the citizens of that kingdom to grow closer to the Lord, to honor him and to bless the people around him. So fasting is a spiritual discipline that draws us closer to God through giving up of something and to replace it with the presence of God. And so Pastor Jesse gave a, a great example of fasting. Usually we use food to fast from, to rely upon the Lord. Sometimes uh, for many of us, food is that, that object or that thing that really connects us um, with our flesh or indulgences. And so giving up and fasting from those help us draw closer to the Lord and rely upon him. Throughout the Bible, fasting was a practice that many people did when they were grieving or repenting or trying to draw closer to the Lord. We have examples of um, David in 1 Samuel chapter 7 where uh, the sin of Bathsheba, he's confronted with his sin and so he fasts over his son that God said would die because of the consequences of sin. We also see Nehemiah and he's just repenting and he's in sackcloth and, ashes, in sackcloth and ashes fasting over the report of the walls and the conditions of Jerusalem when he is serving. 
We also have Esther, um, and she calls for a national uh, day of fasting as well as she prepares to confront Na- uh, Haman and the crime and genocide of the Jews. And then most popular, most famous is Jesus in Matthew chapter four. There's quite a few other examples, but Matthew chapter four records Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness. And so we have uh, biblical texts to call us to fasting and it draws us closer to the Lord and we should consider it. But as we come to our text in verses one through five, I want us to look at this heading of how not to fast. And so some of us probably have maybe fasted before or maybe we've been uh, considering fasting. And so I want us to be, uh, give some pointers on how not to fast from personal examples. Um, maybe you wanna fast, but you get really hungry on the way home from work. So you stop at McDonald's and eat two or three Big Macs and then roll home and, uh, you know, and then fast with the family or show that you're fasting, right? That's not how you fast, right? Or maybe, maybe you don't uh, bathe for a couple days, don't comb your hair, maybe you don't put any like uh, product or anything on your face or hair uh, so that it appears that you're more focused on the Lord, right? And not on your outward appearance and things like that, right? That's not how you fast. Or maybe you uh, just tell everybody that you're fasting. So maybe you're like, oh, I can't make it tonight. I can't go out to dinner with you because I'm fasting. Or, oh, I wish I could do that, but I've been fasting, so I've been really hungry, and I just don't have the energy to do that, right? And if you really want to take it up a notch, right, you post it on Facebook, right, or on social media, and you say, hey, look, I'm fasting this month. Pray for me, that sort of thing, right? And usually it's a selfie or something like that, right? Not how you you fast, Or maybe you join a group because you just know like, okay, this will be the most holy thing to do is join an accountability group because I I know like, you know, that's the holy thing to do, the Christian thing to do. And so you join a group and you're all fasting together and praying, but then after a couple days, you kind of just fall off the bandwagon, but you don't tell the group, right? And so you keep putting up the front, right? Of like, oh yeah, I'm fasting. Oh, it's so rough. Oh yeah. That's not how you fast. We laugh and uh, just to kind of set the tone, I've either done or been a part of all of these things, okay? So there's no shame if you fall in any of these categories. But as we come to the text in verses one and two, we see something very brutal as God speaks to Isaiah. And um, yeah, they're pretty swift and they're pretty extreme. He calls Isaiah to speak out against the hypocrisy and the religious game that the people of Israel are doing. Nothing brings swifter words from God than people who play the religious game. Checking those church boxes, trying to win favors, trying to earn their salvation, trying to get God to owe them in return. The people of Israel are hearing these words from Isaiah, from God, calling, saying that they, they, they're doing all the right things, they're saying all the right things, but their heart is far from God. They want to seek God, they want God's righteous judgments, God's protection, but yet, They're doing all the right things, but getting no response. And so that's Israel's words. You look at that in verse three, the first part. Why have we fasted and you haven't seen God? Why have you not noticed all that we're doing? Haven't you seen all the righteous things that we've done? We may may feel like this sometimes. We feel like we're going to church, we're saying all the right things, we're praying all the right stuff, but yet we don't hear God or we don't feel God's presence. And so as the people of Israel, they're tempted to probably say, what gives God? Do you not care? Are you not, do we not saying the right things? Are we not using enough KGV language, enough these and thous in our language and prayers? 
Is 24 hours of fast not long enough? Should we be doing a whole week? What, what, what's, what do you want, Lord? And the questions the people are asking, God, where are you? Maybe are some of the same questions that we have. God, where are you? I've done all the right things. Why aren't you coming through on your end of the bargain? I've been doing all the church things, checking all those boxes. How come you're not blessing me? How come my life isn't perfect? And so God responds in verse 3b, partly to, to, to refute, yes, I have taken notice. I do see you and I do hear you, but you have wrong motives. Look at verse three, the second half. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and you oppress all your workers. God responds, you do whatever you want. Why would I answer your prayers when you just do whatever you want? You, you call a fast, but your actions and your heart are far from me. The rebuke is fierce and it's on purpose. It's to call their attention, to get their attention and to bring them back to God. Israel was saying and doing all the right things, but, they, but their heart wasn't there. Their heart wasn't after God's own heart. They didn't love the things that God loves. They were disguising their own selfish ambition, their own hatred for others, their own bitterness and anger under the disguise of religious rituals. They were using fasting as a religious ritual to disguise what was going on on the inside. It makes me think of uh, lipstick on a pig. It's a cover-up, right? Looks cute but you surely shouldn't kiss a pig. And religion is that, it's a great cover-up. Religion is a cover-up. If we do enough religious things, people will say, well, wow, they're godly, they're, they're a good Christian, they do all the right things, and we can disguise what's really going on in our hearts. We can disguise and make fool people into thinking that we have it all together, that we're the perfect Christian, that God, and then on the flip side, that God must owe us, God has to come through for us. And Jesus speaks to this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. He says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to others. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. The people of Israel were in Jesus' mind here, hypocrites. They put on a face, a disguise. In Jesus' time, a hypocrite was someone who was in a play and they would put on a mask or, or some sort of costume to disguise, to play a part that they really weren't. And so in some ways, when we come into the church, a lot of us, unfortunately, we put on masks. We portray to be someone that maybe we aren't throughout the week. And the church is a place where we can let down those guards to come to Jesus, to rest in his grace, to know that we do not have to be perfect, that we can never be perfect, and it's not anything that we can do. It's not works-based. It's a relationship in what Jesus Christ has done. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And so notice the things that the people are accused of by God here in verses 4 and 5. They oppress the workers. They fast with contention and strife and strike viciously with their fists. Notice these three things. They, they oppress their workers. Now, for some of us, maybe we are employers and we have people that work under us or we have, you know, we're in supervisory role. And so maybe this can apply in some ways of how we treat others. But I think in another way, like how, what, where has God positioned us to help um, promote others? Maybe this is through encouraging someone that has a low-paying job 
or someone who's trying to make ends meet instead of trying to exploit them and get the most bang for the buck. But how can we help them? How can we encourage them? And two, the people of Israel, when they were fasting, they were full of contentiousness and strife, starting arguments and dissension. And we never do that. We never have uh, problems with getting along with people. We never have disagreements. We never have arguments. We never pray that, Lord, help me win this argument with my wife because I know she's right, but Lord, just help me come through, right? We never do that. And we never fight. We never fight with people. I think for some of us, we think of fighting, you know, putting up fists. But I think what is coming on here is, yeah, there, there's, there's vicious, you know, fists that they throw, but also fighting of just arguments and just fighting in general, how, how disagreeable we are. And so this sharp accusation and rebuke brings to mind Jesus' words that he says to the people, uh, the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. And so jot this down, but I'm going to read a couple of these verses because I think Jesus would say the same things to the people of Israel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the outside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful in the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity." In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The people of Israel knew God. They had seen and recounted time and time again the faithfulness of God, how he came through with them through the wilderness in the, in the, the early days of, as a nation, providing for them man in the wilderness, providing water, and provided so much security and protection, and yet they play the religious game with God. They were, they were positioned and set apart to be God's ambassadors as his people to bring shalom to the land. But instead, they were oppressing people, fighting, not getting along, and full of religious rituals that did not, hear, uh, did not meet what God had intended. They played the religious game. They called out to God, but it was all for selfish gain. And worse, they forgot the commandments of God. The rebuke Isaiah shares here should rattle us as we think about our worship, our church attendance, our Christian life. How are we drawing closer and nearer to God? Is it for the approval of others? Is it to put on a good face? Is it to have a clean outside? Or are we more concerned about the inside? I think of um, Samuel's words to King Saul in 1 Samuel, how God looks, or to David, God looks uh, on the inside as man looks on the outside. And we've got to think about how the motive that we're doing this. Is we trying to improve, impress others? Or are we trying to impress God, to try to trick God into blessing us and providing all the different things that we want in life? We can easily slip into a man-made religion where we're thinking, if I just pray enough, if I say the right things, if I tithe, if I go to church, then God has to bless me. God has to bless my bank account. Everything must go right. But underneath that, we're not worshiping God. We're actually worshiping a man-made religion and worshiping what we want in return. If you think about money, right, some of us may tithe or we might feel like, okay, there's a lot of scripture that talks about tithing and how God will bless and, and multiply. And so we do that because we think like that's a great investment plan, that God will just bless us. But at the root of it, we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping our bank account and what we can get out of God. It's a man-made religion. It's religious rituals that have nothing to do with God and worship of him. And our heart is far from him. 
So the people of Israel fall victim to this, and so can we. I think Jesus would say, you hypocrites, stop playing a religious game. I wonder if Jesus would say the same thing about me, someone who hides the selfishness, the sin, under the mask of being a good Christian. And I think for all of us, we can heed the warnings that Jesus gives. Wake up, repent, come back to me, come back to a true heart of worship. There's forgiveness, there's grace. Come back, turn back. You don't have to go down this road. I love you. Fasting is a, uh, the wrong way to fast is playing a religious game. Saying and doing all the right things, but not meaning it. Showing off, doing really impressive Jesus things, but having no heart after God. Not loving the things that he loves. Using big flowery language with prayer, but never praying with our kids. Never praying with our spouse. Religious rituals is coming to church, smiling, greeting people, saying life is great, and then going home and arguing with our wife or husband, or going to work and just running people through with with our tongue. True fasting comes in verses six and seven. How to fast. God gives us a definition of true and honoring fasting, and it begins with the, heart, with the heart. As we notice here, their heart was far from God. They said all the right things, they did all the right stuff, and same can be true for some of us. Their heart is far from God. The mark of God's impact on our hearts should be in how we treat others, should be evident in how we care for others, in how we think and how we speak, how we act toward others, the helpless, the poor, and the needy. Because we too are needy. We too are spiritually poor. But the loving and goodness of God has, was extended to us in Jesus Christ. And so we're no different. We all need Jesus Christ. And so notice with me the several lists of that, that Isaiah gives here of examples of how to fast. I counted seven of them as we look at verses six and seven. This is the fast that God desires, that he chooses, is to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. It is not to share, uh, to share bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your home, to clothe the naked, and to not ignore your own flesh and blood. There's seven things. I love how the Bible is so practical, right? It's not a huge exhaustive list. You don't have to, you know, uh, sacrifice a, a child. You don't have to make some sort of pilgrimage to some faraway mountain. It's just to love the people that are right around you in the way that God has extended his love to you, to love those people that are made in God's image. And notice with me, like, there's some really very practical things here. People that are chained with the cycles of sin and rebellion, to walk alongside them, to help them, to care for them, to pray for them. And who is around you that you can give a meal to? Who's someone that you can show hospitality to? Who's someone that you can help give them a meal or clothing? How can you care for your own family? There's many examples here. And at the heart of it is Jesus' example or Jesus' illustration of the Good Samaritan, of loving your neighbor. What's the, who is my neighbor? Who should I love? Jesus says in the Good Samaritan, it's everyone. It's everyone that we come in contact with. And so that will give us a closer relationship with God. 
This month, we're gonna be uh, talking about fasting a lot and prayer. And there's gonna be biblical teaching on that. There's gonna be opportunities to jump in. And so food is that classic example of fasting where we take a meal, maybe a day, maybe a couple days, um, some sort of modification of that. And we dedicate that time to seeking the Lord, to growing closer with him. And I'd also like to say too, for some of us, maybe medical reasons, fasting with food isn't what we should do. And for others, maybe still, uh, fasting from food, that's not our biggest um, idol or our biggest uh, distraction from following the Lord. For me, it's my smartphone. For many of us, maybe it's our smartphone. It's our third hand, right? We never go anywhere without it. Maybe it's another screen or maybe it's a website or an app where it just, it grabs our attention whenever we have a down moment or when we don't even, we're on it constantly. And so I would encourage you as you consider and pray, like what is it that the Lord would call you to give up so that you could draw closer to him, so that you could draw uh, in a closer relationship with him, seeking him, removing those distractions to to seek him in this new year. But food may be the best way to start. Say a time, uh, maybe a day, maybe a meal. Uh, there's countless books. Has anybody ever done the intermittent fasting or watched a documentary or read, read a book? No one? Oh, okay, there's a handful. Okay, so this may have been more popular a number of years ago, but when I was uh, out of high school, intermittent fasting was pretty popular in the fitness and um, uh, bodybuilding um, uh, world. And so my friend was doing it and he was really uh, strong and he was really jacked. And so I was like, man, whatever you're doing, I wanna do that. And so, uh, so he told me all about intermittent fasting. And so I decided I would have my last meal at lunch and then I wouldn't eat until breakfast the next day, right? And I'd set that whole afternoon and evening that was not to be, uh, I wouldn't eat. And I'd focus that time on growing with the Lord because I knew that the spiritual discipline of fasting was good. So I was like, I will be fit and holy. And I was like, man, then God will send me that perfect woman for sure. So the first two days were awesome and amazing and like, man, got to read through Matthew and was like, you know, like, okay, I can do this. Uh, And then day three came and I was like, man, I'm really feeling hungry. And then I don't know if you've ever missed a meal at dinner if you're like, you know, a 20 year old guy, but you're like, pretty soon you're like, your stomach is growling at night and you can't get to sleep. And so I'm like, oh, this is the worst. And so pretty soon I would start eating uh, and stashing snicker bars and red vines next to my bed. And so that like, okay, it's bedtime. So technically it's morning. I'll just start eating now. And it didn't take long, maybe another week after that, that I'm like, what am I doing? And I stepped on the scale and I hadn't gotten any fitter. I'd actually gained five pounds, spent $50 on candy and um, wasn't any closer to my, my relationship with Jesus. My point is this, fasting can have health benefits for sure. But if we're fasting and not growing closer to the Lord, not actively spending time with him, not thinking about him, then we're just on a diet plan. Fasting should grow our relationship with God, the things that he loves, and bless others. Will we be hungry? Oh, definitely. Will we often think about food? Yeah, probably. Uh, will we have stomach pain? Probably, yeah. But how, So how do we keep that focus on God in those moments that we're fasting? It's by loving the things that God loves. By focusing on what he has called us, in this passage lists out seven things, the things that God loves. Loving others, 
loving the poor, the homeless, the needy, the fatherless, the imprisoned, those that are held by the, ch- the, the chains of sin. How can God position us? How has God positioned us to love those people? In some of us, I think there's two kind of two uh, takes on this. Usually it's the older brother uh, model of like looking down on people because they don't have what we have. Or it's exhausting them to the point where they, uh, they don't want our help. And so we need to make sure that we're coming at the heart of God. How has God loved them? How has God positioned us to love them? And how does God need to change my own heart? Because if we don't have God's heart and God's love driving us, it's just gonna be more moralistic, spiritual rituals. We're just gonna be doing things because we feel like we have to do them and not because we want to do them, not because we know that God has called us to do that. And so it comes from a heart after God's own heart of spending time with him. And that's why it's second. And so for many of us, that first part of growing closer to the Lord will be first and paramount to our loving others and loving the things that God loves. And so we could continue there. Oh man, there's like three sermons right there. But true fasting comes from a heart to grow in closer relationship with God, loving the things that he loves and enjoying and sharing the benefits of God's blessing. Fasting is a conscious effort of obeying God's heart to love him and to love the things that he loves. When we do this, people are cared for, the needs of others are met, and they are able to receive the message that Jesus Christ loves them and has paid the penalty of sin for them. So this brings us to our third point, the benefits of fasting. And that comes in verses eight through 12. And so we'll see real quick, uh, closely, I'm just gonna read a couple verses um, and you just pick out the language. Maybe if you have a pen, underline some of these words because they're vivid. Verse eight, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here am I. Words of light in the darkness, recovery, guidance, and protection. True fasting will result in your light shining in a dark world. It'll, it'll shine where people need it the most. It'll be refreshing. If God's people, if we would couple our fasting with lives of righteousness and love, then the world, everyone would see it and glorify God. Our prayers would be answered. God would respond. We would have lives full of light, full of healing, full of righteousness, full of glory of the Lord. When we cry out, God would answer our prayers. And so to answer the first part of this passage, God, why aren't you answering our prayers? Well, are you seeking me with a true heart? Are you seeking me because you want a relationship with me? Are you seeking me because of worship and adoration? Are you seeking me because you want to be a blessing to the nations? True and God-honoring fasting leads to a closer walk with God. From a young age in Sunday school, and shout out to all Sunday school teachers everywhere, uh, Enoch was one of my favorite Old Testament people. I know he's only mentioned a couple verses, but Enoch is said to have walked with God and he didn't die. God took him. Chapter, Genesis chapter 5, 22, 23, 24, that Enoch lived for 300 years and had a close fellowship, a close walk with God. And after that time, one day, he disappeared because God took him. That close relationship with God, so knit together that when it was time, God took him and he did not suffer. And for many of us, 
We long for that. We long for that close relationship with God, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our heart and mind. And we can receive that in Jesus Christ when we seek him with a pure heart, when we seek after him and the things that he loves. And I want us to see a couple more things here. Isaiah, just, just like another pastor or preacher, he adds in a couple more opportunities to say, stop doing those religious games. Stop being sinful in your, uh, in your actions toward others. Stop oppressing others. Stop pointing fingers and blaming others. Stop speaking maliciously to cut people down. We see that in the last part of verse nine and verse 10. And so he calls us to continue to seek after those things that God loves and desires. And so Isaiah here in this, in the, in this, this chapter to the people of Israel He says, the evidence of your growing and close relationship with God isn't determined by how many good things you do. All the religious uh, actions and rituals that you do is not based on how much theology you know, how many books you read, though all those things are amazing and a byproduct and expression of your faith in God, but it's by your goodness to people. It's your active mercy to others in misery and in need. I come back time and time again to Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan. And how it wasn't the Levite or the priest that showed God honor and mercy. It was the Samaritan, the enemy of the Jews. So all this information, everything that we take in from God, from his word, it must move from our head down to our heart and out to our actions. True and God-honoring fasting leads us to a closer relationship with God and loving the things that God loves. And so when we're fasting, if we're praying and considering fasting, what are those things that maybe have pulled us away from God? How can we establish and replace those things with a growing relationship with God? Is it spending time in God's word? Is it a Bible plan of reading through a passage or a section of the Bible? Is it an accountability group with your life group or some friends? What does that look like? Because the benefits are amazing and worthy of seeking after. In verses 11 and 12, actually, if we back up a little bit in the second half of verse 10, there are seven benefits to fasting here in our passage. So if we get rid of all that religious uh, junk and get back to a right relationship with God and the things that he loves, our light will shine in the darkness and it will be like, uh, our night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you He will satisfy you in a parched land, strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden in a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You'll be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. So as Isaiah is telling the people of Israel, here are the benefits of seeking after the Lord, of fasting with a right heart, seeking after God. There's seven things in an enlightened life. You'll be a light in the darkness. In a culture, in a world where there's so much darkness and there's so many people looking for truth, you will be a light in that realm. You'll be a guided life. The Lord will lead you and guide you. He'll be your rear guard. He will protect you from the enemy. He will guide you in the way way everlasting. And three, we'll see, we see here a satisfied life. Our soul, our heart will be satisfied in the Lord even when we go through the parched land, the desert, the wilderness. God will be with us and he will also strengthen us. The Lord will be our strength. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. 
Number five, we'll have a fragrant life, like a watered garden. Your life will be, ref- be a refreshment to others. Just like a beautiful garden where you smell those beautiful flowers, that our life will be like that to others. And what a blessing. I hope that, that some of us will be like that at middle school camp too. And number six, will be a freshly sustained life, like a spring of water that never runs dry. Our life will be like an oasis for those that are thirsty, that are seeking after the Lord. They'll find their rest in us. And number seven, there'll be a, it will be a productive and healing life. Isaiah tells the people this promise that some of them are going to come back into Jerusalem and they're going to rebuild those walls, those home, the homeland that they once loved and was beautiful and people came from north and south to see it and to worship the Lord, that some of them will take part in that. And so just dwell on these seven characteristics. I encourage you this week to just write down some of these and how beautiful and how needed they are in our culture and our world. These seven characteristics to dwell on them. And note that it has nothing to do with being healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Though there is definitely some prosperity here, but it's a true connection with God, being loved and sought in by the Lord and used to bless others. Notice how all of these are helpful for others, for the nations. The world needs people that love the Lord, that seek after him, to, that love the things that he loves to help them know God and know his son, Jesus Christ. So may we be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. And so as we kind of wrap up, I, there's a lot of things that we could go in different directions, but I wanted to start with just my own heart. This, pa- this passage was, um, I've had like three months to kind of prepare and it's been very challenging because it points right to my own uh, failures, my own hypocrisy. And um, the application for me is just to work on my heart. The Bible gives some very practical steps here. Gives some very practical, do I love those people around me that maybe are different from me, that need help, that need care, that need uh, walking alongside because of sin, because of the wickedness in their own life, uh, because of things evil done to them? How can God work in my heart? How can he bring me back? So this month, we're gonna continue to talk about fasting and prayer and intentionally time of seeking the Lord. And so for me, I'm just gonna be dwelling on this, just how can I come back to a true heart after God's own heart, things that God loves, that honors him. And with that, right, enjoy all those blessings to be a blessing to others. And so um, we're gonna sing a a last chorus, but um, as the worship team comes, I was reminded, and I'll close with Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is gonna be my like, life verse or month verse. Um, and it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns, my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, any habit that is getting in the way that is idolatrous, any thought or action that I've put in the place of you, God. I want to have a true and right worship of you, God. So lead me, lead me in the, ever, the way everlasting. I want to honor you. I want to serve you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Even the words of um, rebuke, even words of, of warning, of calling us out, calling us back to uh, a heart of worship. God, we're thankful for those words especially as we begin a new year. It's easy for us to fall into those different patterns and habits of seeking our own desire, of getting really fit or reading a bunch of books. But really, God, we need to focus on our relationship with you. Draw us back to you, God, 
is a dangerous prayer. And so I just pray this for myself. Would you remove anything, anything in my own life, anything in my own heart that's not of you, that doesn't lead me closer to you? Remove the lies of the enemy. Remove anything, any sin, any hindrance that gets in the way of my worship of you, God. We want, I want to start this new year in a fresh way, in a new way to be empowered by you, to be led by you, to be used by you, to accomplish all that you have. God, we want to hear from you. We want our prayers to be heard. We want to be that, uh, that life that people see you through, God. Would you remove anything that comes in the way? Would you lead us back to that right heart of worship? Thank you for this church. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that empowers us, that strengthens us. May this year be the year where we say yes to you, God. Say no to anything that comes in the way. God, would you search our hearts? Would you test our minds? See if there's any wicked way, anything that gets in the way. And would you lead us, God? 